Welcome back, listeners. So Josh, before we move to the corn side of things, I just as a, a quick wrap up on the soybean side of things as we made the rounds um, this har- harvest, those four factors we talked about, so early planting, fungicide seed treatment, um, and annual spread on the fertilizer things are really those factors um, that, that made a big difference in terms of of yield and where we sat. So factors driving soybeans, those are the things to hone in on. But we're going to shift focus here um, to just corn and how things have landed on that side of things as we wrap up harvest here. Yeah, it. Um, you almost got to go back and think back to this spring. It was um, a very different year than what we've had in, in say, the previous three or four. Um, the, the planning dates uh, window really shifted early. Uh, when we do look at the, the 57 locations that uh, replicated plots that we planted in Southeast Minnesota Alley. Um, of those 57, they got all the way through harvest w- with no damage. All but four of them were planted by April 27th, which is kind of you know hard to believe. I know the the 27 that you and I planted, uh, they were all planted in April. We didn't have any shift into May. Um, I don't know if that ever happened again. I hope it does because it sure was nice. But when we do look at just planting date, we talk a lot about the importance of planting date on soybeans. It's equally as important as as corn. However, in this given year where it was all planted so early, it was kind of a flat curve and you'll notice that in the book. However, if you do look at, you know, 2014, 15, 17, 18, 19, where you compile that data, we still usually see a 10 to 15 bushel advantage in the first window versus the finish window. It's just this year, there was kind of just a start window. There really wasn't ever a finish when it all happened in a, in about a week's time, which is pretty cool. But uh, so I was kind of just looking at planning date. And uh, I also think, you know, when we look at the corn set in general, we did break our record. Um, I think our previous record in the corn set, uh, we had to go all the way back to 2017 at 237.1. This year we came at 241.8. Uh, pretty impressive number despite, um, you know, a growing season that has challenges, Allie, especially with um, some variable moisture across the area. Yeah, and I was just going to go back to the planning date. I think, you know, I go back to this spring, we joked about having to split up the planning date Um by the hour. And so it wasn't maybe a surprise that we didn't see a significant spread there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, that average this year sitting maybe a tick above last year. And I think it's important to note that um, maybe not everyone experienced the same environment this year. We know they didn't, um, weather was variable across the area. So, you know, depending on where you maybe fell under some of those rain clouds, you could be falling above, right on, or below that average. So just something to keep in mind. Um, I think another thing that was really important this year, if we maybe just look at of our replicated PKP sets, that split between corn on corn and then the corn on soybean side of things, there was about a six bushel spread um, in our data. But again, if you look at full field average differences, likely that number um, that you experienced um, probably is a lot more variable than the six bushel spread that we see um, on our PKP plot side of things. Is that a fair statement, Josh? Oh yeah, I think so. And even when you do look at, um, for example, we sort out, you know, you know, what did the top 19 locations yield? They averaged 260. Uh, the, the bottom 19 locations averaged 222. So there still is a big spread in that data. Um, there are some locations that far exceeded that average, some that were well below that average. And there's many agronomic and other reasons why um, there were some variations in there. And that's maybe something we'll dig into a little bit more in some episodes as we roll into the off-season alley. Um, but I think it's important to note that, you know, uh, yields were very variable as you made the rounds, but um, there were some common denominators of what some factors really drove yield. And I will maybe summarize those a little bit here before the end of the day. Um, every year, Alley too, we do talk about, um, we do look at our, our locations that were treated with fungicide uh, compared to those that weren't treated with fungicide. 
The one thing about this data we always stress is this isn't side-by-side -side data. Uh, for example, this is taking, for example, let's just say plot A was planted in Canton, Minnesota. Plant B was planted in Grand Meadow, Minnesota. Canton had fungicide, Grand Meadow didn't. That's kind of the comparison we're looking at here, just so that uh, that makes sense. Uh, it was interesting, the last three years or so, I think we've had like a, almost an exact 14 or 15 bushel response. Um, kind of eerie how consistent that was. This year that changed alley uh, locations uh, that were treated with fungicide, there was 26 treated compared to 31 not treated. Uh, the 26 that were treated had an advantage of 8.7 bushel. Uh, Allie, not sure about your thoughts, but I also kind of think that the lack of moisture we had down the stretch also probably limited some disease pressure across the area. Yeah, that's, I mean, initially when you look at that number being lower than past years, that's probably the first obvious reasoning that comes into my mind, just looking at the uh, the dry weather and how that suppressed any disease that we did have in the canopy coming in um, to that tassel time period. Um, so I think that's that's a big focus of it as well. But I also do think if you look at just the general um, benefits of having that fungicide um, application having been made on the corn crop, I think as we hit that heavy stress period when we were really dry, I do think that's when you saw a significant difference between those fields that had been treated with a fungicide and those that did not read. Um, receive a fungicide application. So I do still feel there was a huge benefit that um, there, though our data, obviously the number being a little lower than last last year. Yep. And that's why I always try to call it that data. In my opinion, growers that split a farm or did fungicide likely saw maybe better results than what we saw in just our comparison and PKP. Um, but I think the general trend is that uh, there's still a lot of value to look in that fungicide application. Uh, Allie, the segment's running out of time in a fast hurry. I did want to talk a little bit more around, you know, maybe some of the corn on corn and crop nutrition things we're into, but I think we'll maybe shelf that uh, for next week. So a little intrigue of what we'll be talking about maybe here next week, but uh, that'll be a wrap for this week and uh, be sure to tune next week and we'll dig in some more insights. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner. Submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060 